Well, thank you for joining us again as we continue our walk through the Bible together in 2021. I know this podcast is a little bit late, and I apologize for not getting this out last week, but I do want to look at week 7, and that would be covering Exodus chapter 32 through the end of that book and into Leviticus in the Old Testament, and then finishing up Philippians and into the book of Hebrews in the New Testament with Psalms 26 and 27 in there as well. And I said last time that we were together on this podcast that we were going to spend some time looking at the tabernacle and the different characteristics of that and what the application is for us today. Because as you go through the book of Exodus, you get this very detailed description of God's dwelling place with man in the Old Testament. And so as you read through that, all of the numbers and measurements and instructions on how to put that together, maybe you are wondering, why and how is this applicable to us today? And I hope to draw some of those things out as we go, and we'll move into the New Testament a little bit as well. Um, I just want to draw your attention to a few characteristics of the tabernacle. And as you read through the end of the book of Exodus, you see that God has called his people out of Egypt, and they are following him through the desert, and now he needs a place where he can continually meet with them, a, a physical spot for a holy God to meet in the midst of a sinful people. And so I just want to draw a few things out as we go through that and think about what God was doing. The first thing I just want to point out is that the tabernacle itself was a very functional facility. You know, as you go through um, in many places in the book of Exodus, one of those is Exodus 35, 21, where it's known as the tent of meeting. A, a tabernacle was a place where God would come and meet with his people. He was literally tabernacling with them. He wanted to meet with them there. And so, as he goes through and he shares these things, we have to recognize this was not a small task. You know, for a holy God to have close proximity to a sinful people, that was a very dangerous thing. You know, and we see Moses pleading with God to dwell in the midst of his people in Exodus 34, and God says, I can't do that. You know, I cannot be among these sinful people because you would die because of that. I would destroy you, is what he actually says, because of their sin. And so he meets with them in this tabernacle. It's a very functional facility. You know, as you look through it, the problem, the, the tabernacle solved a problem with its portability because God's people at this place were sojourners. They were moving through the desert. They were not um, going to stay in one spot um, as they were moving into toward the promised land of Canaan. So the tabernacle itself was designed with portability in mind. It could be taken down, it could be moved, it could be reassembled so that he could again meet with his people there. You know, the tabernacle also solved that problem of a holy God dwelling in the midst of a sinful people because it was through God's design and by his command that this would be the place that he would meet with them. This would be the place that the priests would offer sacrifice and that the sins of the Israelites would be atoned for here. So this was not a permanent solution, but it did facilitate communion between God and his people by being a place that they could offer sacrifice to him and being a portable place as God led them towards that promised land of Canaan. So it was very functional. The second thing you notice as you read through um, this description of the tabernacle is that it was a place which displayed fabulous wealth and beauty. And I, I've read a statistic here, it kind of blew my mind. 
Um, according to these calculations, the amount of gold and silver and bronze in the tabernacle that would have been required to construct it, as God commanded, would have been this. 1,900 pounds of gold, almost a ton of gold, 6,437 pounds of silver, and 4,522 pounds of bronze. I mean, that's absolutely astounding in the amount of um, the amount of those expensive materials, but also as you read through the description, these materials were not just used in such a way as to be shiny. They were used to create wonderful works of art. You know, as you look through the description of how these things were supposed to be put together, you see that God gifted skilled craftsmen and women to be able to make these things ornate, not just flashy. And I think that that is a wonderful representation of who God is. You know, you see many times through this section of Exodus that these furnishings in the tabernacle were given to Israelites for both glory and beauty, to display the glory of God, to display His beauty and His creativity in meeting with His people. You know, it was an astounding thing to me that the building of the tabernacle involved all of the people, and all the people would benefit from the tabernacle, and so they were all per permitted to participate in some point of construction, either by donation of materials or by skilled labor, in some cases, both. You know, God wanted to meet with his people, and so his people were involved in that. You know, as you think about how it was constructed and why it was constructed, I think it's clear that the tabernacle itself testifies to the character of God. The excellence of the tabernacle, both in its materials and workmanship, they were a reflection of the excellency of God. And the tabernacle, as a holy place, it became that not because it was beautiful, but because God made it that way. It was abiding. Um, it was His abiding place with His people. If you look into Exodus 30, verses 37 and 38, you see that. And so that tabernacle testifies in its structure and its function and its portability to the holiness of God and his willingness to bear with his people. And there's some very stern warnings in there about how the priests and how the leaders and how the people should approach God. You know, this was definitely seen that it was a holy place, a holy meeting place, and that testifies to the character of God that while he does want to meet with us, we must be sure that we are approaching him in a correct way, and approaching him, recognizing that we are sinful people, and he is a holy God, and there is really only one way that we can be reunited with him, and that is through sacrifice. And we see that sacrifice in the tabernacle in the Old Testament, and praise the Lord that we get to experience a relationship with God through the sacrifice of Jesus now, as he has revealed himself in that way. You know, the tabernacle is composed of various elements. You know, there's different meeting rooms. There are different ways that it all comes together. There are different articles that are used in there so that um, God could meet with his people. Each and every one of those has a specific purpose. And the unity of it all, they're, they're unified in design and function and purpose. And that is emphasized as you read through the book of Exodus here. You know, the 50 clasps that they talk about in Exodus 36, they, they, they join the tent together so that it might be 
one unit. And I think that's important that God has all of these different aspects in the tabernacle in different ways that people are to come and to offer sacrifice to him. But each one is specific and unique and is also important. You know, there was a unity really even in the architecture and the structure that happened in the tabernacle. And because of that unity, there is function in the tabernacle and seeing that God has different purposes for different things and providing a relationship with him. All of those furnishings facilitated ministries and ceremonies which contribute to that one place providing a, a tabernacle, a tent of meeting, a place where God would be with his people. And while this was a portable facility, I would like to point out that the tabernacle was designed to be used continually. You know, repeatedly we find expressions such as perpetual and throughout your generations. In Exodus chapter 30, that happens several times. As you read through the end of the book of Exodus, you see that this was not a one-and-done thing for God. And in the design and the building of the tabernacle, it was designed and built to last. You know, it was it was made so that it could be taken or put up and then taken down and moved and put back up so that God would be able to meet with his people throughout the generations. That's just a, a testimony to the character of God and who he is. You know, the last thing I'd like to point out that the tabernacle was God's idea and it was God's initiative, and it was God's design. Where did the pattern come from? It came from the mind of God. God was the architect, not a man. This was not Moses' idea. It was not his um, thinking of how we should be able to relate to God. No, God says, I want you to meet with me in this way. And God tells Moses all those details, and not even tells him. He shows, he shows them so that Moses would know exactly how to come and to relate to the Lord. And so the tabernacle, as you as you get the account there of Genesis 36 and 37, I'm sorry, Exodus 36 and 37 and 38, um, you get the account of those things being made exactly as the Lord had said, or exactly as the Lord had shown Moses. And so God had a plan and he laid out the specifics and the people walked in those. One thing I want to point out specifically about that is you see one of the main characters in the building of their tabernacle was Bezalel. Bezalel and Oholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. Exodus 36 verse 1. And as you go through there, you see that Bezalel was definitely the head um, builder of these things. He was facilitating these things, and God had designed him and given him specific gifts and unique um, talents and abilities to do these things. I just want to encourage you that God has done the same for you. He may not have de destined you to build the tabernacle. He may not have destined you to preach in front of a church. He may not have destined you to have children. He may not have destined you to um, be married. But God has a specific role for you to play. And your role is not anybody else's role. And nobody else's role is your role. But you do need to walk in the role that God has designed for you and is given specifically unto you. And we see Bezalel as having a main role in creating this place of tabernacling, of meeting 
between God and man. And if he had not walked in that role, we don't know exactly what would have happened. You know, we don't know exactly what would have happened with the tabernacle, um, if people would have built it incorrectly, but he was willing to step into that place that God had taken him so that God could meet with his people. So as you think through those specific things of the tabernacle, I think it has some application for us as well. You know, this was God's dwelling place in the Old Testament. And as we move into the New Testament, as you get into the, the um, promised land in Canaan, we see a building of the temple and a moving from a temporary meeting place to a permanent meeting place. Um, actually, now in the New Testament, now we move back to a um, a portable moving a meeting place, a one that moves, and that is because we, as the children of God, are now the dwelling place of God. And that's just an incredible thing when you think about it. You know, as you look through the Gospel of John, you see that Jesus Christ came and tabernacled among his people, John 1, 14. He came and, and he dwelled among the people of earth so that people might know God. And as you continue on through the New Testament, now you see that we, we, as after the ascension of Jesus, have become that dwelling place of God. Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 22 says, You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. You know, you and I are now the dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And so as we think about all of the things that went into building the tabernacle, that went into making it an acceptable place that the Lord would meet with his people, I think that it has some application for us. First of all this, I think that we can legitimately learn from the value of art and the, the tremendous artistic contributions that were put into the tabernacle that we have a creative and diverse God who desires to be worshipped in a multitude of ways. Now surely, a main way that we worship is by coming to um, church and, and moving into a church building with his people so that we could um, sing praise back to him. We could pray together. We could learn from his word. But we can get really stuck in a rut if we think that is the only way that we can worship the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I have definitely been guilty of when my when my kids come in and say, gosh, you know, this is this is a holy place. This is this is a place where God meets with his people. And that is definitely true. But the danger in that is that we perpetuate this thought that we come and we enter into the church building once a week, and that's where we meet God. And then we go out from here and we don't meet him the rest of the week. If God indwells the church corporately, as the scriptures teach, then the way that we conduct ourselves as members of the church is really, really important because we are the dwelling place of God. And if we teach our kids that the only time and place we can worship the Lord or meet with Him is here at church, we're doing them a real disservice. You know, we need to make sure that we are pointing them back to the fact that God is absolutely the, the source of all creativity and art and literature and all those beautiful things in the world. And we can use those to worship him both in the church building and out of the church building. 
So I would encourage you to look for ways that you can do that with your family and make sure that you are building that thought into them that God desires to be worshipped through those things. And he desires for us to return our praise and our thanks back to him for the beautiful things in this world. There's a lot of value in those things. The second thing I think we need to learn from the description of the tabernacle is that God should not be thought of um, just as that dwelling place in building in hands. And I talked about that just a little bit. But, you know, we need to think of him rather in terms of dwelling within the church and within the body and those who truly believe in Jesus Christ. And when we wrap our brains around that, I think it really points us to the fact that we have to change the way that we live. We have to make sure that we are looking to God as the one who is absolutely pure and absolutely holy. And now that we, as his people, are his dwelling place, I just I just think that we so often forget that and that we so often take for granted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that has made it possible for us, for me as a sinful person, to be the dwelling place of a holy God. And so I should try to choose to live in a holy way, to try to choose to live in a way that is set apart and recognize that I have a specific role to play in the body of Christ. Just as all of those different articles in the tabernacle had a purpose, so we as the church now have specific purposes because we are the dwelling place of God. And so we must choose to live in a different way. If God is holy, then his church must be holy as well. You can see 1 Peter 1.16 on that. It gives us a very strong reason for exercising discipline in our own life and making sure that we are caring for others in the church and pointing them back to, to God's word because the church must be holy if God indwells it. You and I must choose to live a holy life if God indwells us. Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying. You and I are not perfect, and we will not be perfect. And that's why Jesus Christ right now sits at the right hand of the Father, the book of Hebrews tells us, and he is interceding for us as our high priest. And he's a high priest who understands our temptation. He's a high priest who understands our shortcomings because he lived among us. He tabernacled among us. He has indwelt the earth among us, and he understands the struggles that we face. He, he is the one, though, who has overcome those things. Even though he lived among the brokenness of the world, he was not a part of it. And because of that, he was worthy to be the sacrifice that now makes us the dwelling place of God. And just as that tabernacle in the Old Testament was a place that was set apart, a place that was holy, a place that was clean, a place that had some real specific rules and regulations about how the people would meet with God, we need to make sure that our lives are in line with God's word, that we are seeking to live by his spirit, because we are now the dwelling place of the Lord. Well, those are a few thoughts on the tabernacle and how those things apply to us. I hope that you enjoyed reading that description of them. I, you know, I kind of think through as I um, 
as I read through those scriptures, I kind of picture them. You know, I think about the measurements and how big things were and the place that way where they were. I'm going to attach to this podcast a, a simple um, illustration of what the tabernacle may have looked like. Of course, we don't have um, pictures of what it looked like, but we do have these descriptions, so it's a pretty good representation of this place. If you'd find that interesting, you could check out that attachment. Well, I hope that you've enjoyed our Bible reading. Please join us next time as we look at week 8, which gets into the book of Leviticus. I know it's Leviticus week. It's tough because there's a lot of rules and regulations for sacrifice in there. It always points me to the fact that I'm so thankful for what Jesus has done that we can meet with a holy God. So I hope that you enjoy reading that and that you will join us again next week as we um, come back together. Thanks for, thanks for listening. Have a great day.